Welcome to the Internet Advisor Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Foster Brown. Along with my co-host, Gary Baker, and our team of experts, we've been helping people like you since 1998 with your computer problems, introducing you to valuable resources, and promoting tech enterprise throughout Michigan. The Internet Advisor is a two-hour podcast recorded every week at the studios of historic WJR Radio in Detroit. Only the second hour of our show, which features listeners' questions, is heard live from 5 to 6 p.m. every Saturday on WJR. However, both hours of the show are available each week on this podcast and are streamed to our affiliates across the state of Michigan. We're also proud to be part of Detroit's newest and fastest-growing podcast network, PodcastDetroit.com. And now, here are your hosts with this week's Internet Advisor. Welcome to the Internet Advisor, your place for answers to your computer questions since 1998, with your co-hosts Gary Baker and Foster Brown and their team of tech experts. The door is always open at internetadvisor.net, on Facebook and through Twitter. But right now it's time to get you in touch with your helpful hosts on this week's edition of Internet Advisor. Good afternoon and welcome to the Internet Advisor. Foster Brown, your co-host and producer of this program, along with Gary Baker and Ed Rudell. We've got a great show lined up for you today. It's the really big show, Detroit's Shining Moment. It's the North American International Auto Show, which has begun today. And we're going to be focusing on that with uh, Paul Eisenstein, the editor of the Detroit Bureau. And we'll also be finding out about a new technology that broadcasts power to whatever device you're trying to use. Coming up next... to the Internet Advisor. Once again, your hosts, Foster Brown, Gary Baker, and Ed Rudell. Well, it is a pleasure to be with you here on an afternoon on the Great Voice of the Great Lakes, WJR. Foster Brown with you here along with Mr. Gary Baker. I am happy to be here. We're going to talk today about how auto tech meets infotech. Oh, absolutely. The technologies are crossing. And matter of fact, uh, last week we talked about the two big shows. That's right. CES, the Consumer Electronics CES, Consumer Electronics Electronic Show. show. Yeah. <laughs> the and show, and yes. then the North, North American <laughs> International Auto Show. One had officially, is officially ended, the electronics show. Right. But what was interesting and was the number... the other of, is officially started today. That's exactly. Today is the day they open the gates to the crowds. Eddie, good to have you with you. Eddie Rodell. Always great to be here, Foster. But you know what I noticed is... Um, uh, the tremendous number of cars that were at the electronic show this year. Yeah, that's right. They, and a lot of times they um, they would introduce some of the stuff that normally would normally. have been at the auto show at yep. the consumer electronic show. It's hard to tell the difference. Yeah. I, and, no, big computer on wheels, right? Exactly. I, I can't even work on my car anymore, I'll tell you. <laughs> I, I have to pull true. out a keyboard if I want to work on my car. <laughs> that is so true. Hey, I, one of the things I want to dive into before, just to tell you folks quickly, we're going to be talking about uh, the car show in a lot more depth with Paul Eisenstein in just a little bit. He's the editor of the Detroit Bureau, which is that uh, authoritative voice talking about all things auto. And uh, he'll be with us in this hour along with a fascinating uh, view 
about uh, a technology that transmits electricity wirelessly over a distance. It's called Wytricity. That's coming up a little later on. But Ed, I wanted you to touch on something that um, maybe you can explain to people in a little more detail, and I think it's going to affect a lot of our listeners. Uh, Microsoft just announced this week that the support clock has run out for Internet Explorer 8 nine and ten exactly what does that mean <laughs> you know this game is a surprise to me because microsoft has been known to support products forever ex- yeah. perfect <laughs> and and you know how could they continue doing that i mean the financial burden on that alone i don't think this is a financial as much as a security issue i think i is. think i think they're drawing a line in the sand and you know you know, something that Apple does, you know, hey, we no longer support this. We're going to go with mm-hmm. that. And yeah, that's so, true. That's yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. And we have to do it. I mean, even now when you go to the websites, they, uh, the Internet's changing so rapidly. Yeah, even right. now when you go to the websites, it's saying, you know, you're using an old browser with Windows 7, which shipped with Internet Explorer 8. You should really consider upgrading to Internet Explorer, you know, 11. Uh, it, it's, it's, I would think, mainly for security reasons. Okay, so then the, the, the choice that's being recommended to Microsoft users it would be to go uh, to Internet Explorer 11. 11 yeah. or Edge, which comes native on you know Windows 10. So is, it, Edge isn't the same thing as Internet Explorer Completely 11. Completely different it? program. It's, okay. You would think of it as a stripped down. Remember how Google, when Google first shipped out, how yeah. it was just a browser yeah. and very few plugins? Or Chrome. Or, yeah. Chrome. And, or, well, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Chrome. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, it's sort of, sort of like that. So we're, you know, the add-ins are coming, and uh, and it's fast, you know. I, and and I use Edge for some way, web pages, but I still use the traditional Internet Explorer for a which lot do you of like, website. Which do you like? Which do you like? I still like Internet Explorer eleven. Me, me yeah. too. I yeah. just, I just, I'm not yeah. crazy about Edge. No, I know it's faster. I know it's safer. I it's just, so it's I, so stripped down. To be honest with you guys, yeah. and I think this may be true of a lot of our listeners. I use Chrome. Yeah, I use Chrome a lot. Uh, and ba- I mean, I that's use a my, lot of different ones. That's, yeah, that is my default one. I tried to use Safari the other day, and it, it just was it was just too clumsy. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah. Pardon me, Apple. I'm, I'm on an Apple device. I'm, all my devices are Apple devices, but I still use Chrome yeah. because I find it so clean. Mo- um, most of the Apple users I know have abandoned Safari and yeah. gone to Chrome. Right? Yeah. And most of the people that on, on uh, that use a Windows product don't re- don't use Internet Explorer. They use either Firefox or they use Chrome. Okay. Matter of fact, my son, uh, when he was home over Christmas break and just went to school last week, I went into his room. He wanted to show me something, and he had Chrome up, and he had at least twenty tabs open. <laughs> and it's okay. You can do yeah. that. And you can do that. But yeah. you realize that every tab you open is probably ten megabit, and yeah. it's using up. You know, just or not even that. Sometimes more. But yeah. but Chrome can handle it. Chrome can handle it. Well, can your operating system? Well, he has a system with, you know, 32 gigabyte RAM, you know, because he does video production. So he can do that. So he can handle it, yeah. You know? So... Just to, again to recap for our listeners, and because I, I think it's important, people are going to hear this and think, yeah. "What? What? What? What do we do?" Um, Microsoft is shutting down their support. Yes, their support for Windows. Pardon me for Internet Explorer eight, nine, and ten. Now, by but, that means you won't be getting the security updates. That's right. So when so they it, say, "I mean, you really need to move away from those." Yes, yeah, you should. I mean, really do because. If they're not supporting them, they're not giving you the security updates. That, if they're not giving you the security updates, when a vulnerability is found in one of them, guess who knows it before you do? Yeah. The bad guys. Yeah. And they're going to exploit it. Absolutely. And you're going to be calling us going, my computer's frozen up and I'm losing everything. And we're going to go, what browser did you have? Yeah. Tried to tell you. Yeah. Right? right? Tried to tell you. Well, how many people still use Internet Explorer? I mean... 
Well, for those I, I who didn't do look it, it up. Yeah. Let's just, just just quickly, Ed. For those who do, how do you make that switch from well, let's say Internet Explorer eight, nine, or ten to eleven? Well, it it comes automatically through your uh, Windows update. Okay. So okay. if you have so automatic words, you updates, have to be, you almost have to be deliberately saying no, no. I won't do it. Right. right. Exactly. And sometimes they've got it set. You know, if you set it to just update, it'll update and it'll change for you. Yeah. Okay. So here's something else that Microsoft done has done uh, to show that you know they're they're taking a, a change in, on their support uh, model. Um, is that they're um, going to stop support as of July 2000. Uh, 17, Microsoft is no longer going to support Windows 7 and 8 with with the newest Intel chipset. So when Intel comes out with their next generation Intel Mm -hmm. uh, chipset, which was uh, what is Skylake? Oh, Skylake. uh, You're not going to be able to get that installed. You're not going to be able to install Windows 7 or Windows 8 on there. Only Windows 10. And Windows 10 is so stable that even corporations are moving. Now Microsoft had to backtrack a little bit, and what Mm -hmm. they said is for enterprise active. Uh, corporation products, we will continue. Excellent. Thanks for We will continue. We'll be back in just a moment. One of their models. Well, the North American International Auto Show is our really big show here in Detroit. Every year, and today, by the way, is the official opening for the public. Of course, it's been in the headlines all week long with uh, the, for instance, North American Car and Truck of the Year and a lot of the vehicle launches um, during press week, big time. Uh, And Gary, I I know that you have been to the other event, which is that wonderful gala. That's right, the charity preview. Uh, Didn't go this year, unfortunately, but uh, they raised a lot of money for charities. $5.3 million. Can you believe it? Over $100 million since they started. Uh, But I think the first one was like, don't quote me, 70-something? Yeah, because it's... Tw- uh, was it in... Uh, they were the 27th year, I think. Oh, maybe year, it's eight, then 80-something. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just but an, anyway, it's been going on for a long time. It and, is. Uh, wonderful. It is indeed remarkable. Well, somebody who follows that car industry very carefully is a man named Paul Eisenstein. And Paul is the editor of the Detroit Bureau, and we're delighted to have him with us again. Paul, welcome to the Internet Advisor. Good to be with you. Hey, Thank we're glad you so to have you much. Back. Well, Paul, I just kind of on a broader scale, um, how does this year's North American International Auto Show match up, do you think, to past years? Well, if you're going by the raw vehicle count, how many cars actually were introduced here, Mm -hmm. it's probably one of the lesser shows. It's uh, not not overwhelming from that perspective, but in terms of trends and important things to see, I think it's still a very, very, very good show. Paul, you know, they've expanded Cobo Hall, and it's now really nice, but they don't have enough room for the cars because of all the technology companies that are here, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you know, that's part of the, part of the issue. In, yeah. in a sense, I almost look at the Detroit Auto Show this year as an extension of the Consumer Electronics <laughs> Show. <laughs> that's true. Which is where they had the, all the, the, the big technology previews, including right. the first showing of the Chevrolet Bolt with a B. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and a couple of great concepts, including two electric vehicles from Volkswagen. Uh, but here's, here's something that I find very interesting, which shows you how much the world is changing. On Tuesday, the last of the big brand intros was held by Toyota. Mm. And, you know, what would you expect? You'd expect uh, a hot new minivan or SUV or maybe a new version of the Camry, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You want to guess what it, what their news conference was? No, no, yeah, I don't know what it is. What is it? It was to announce a five million dollar 
exclusive deal with a company out of Seattle called Kaimeta, which is developing a super high-speed, very small, very flat satellite antenna. Oh, I thought really? you were going to say hoverboard. <laughs> no, no. The Toyota hoverboard, actually, they did that, but that, that's another story. Um, no, they, I mean, this tells you where the, where oh, the world man. is going. They're doing a deal with this startup company, which is using a military technology that's now available for uh, you know, other uses. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to develop something. It's about the size of the, the uh, high plate that you would get when you go to somebody's party, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it, they put and it on the, on the it, roof? You can mount it in the roof, and there's some talk about it. If you were to use plastic or carbon fiber, you could make it in between the layers of the roof. Ooh. And instead of being able to download kilobytes or maybe megabytes, certainly not gigabytes with the technology we have, imagine being able to download terabytes. Oh, oh, my, my gosh. <laughs> and, and the idea is that you need this sort of breakthrough to be able to handle all the things you're going to be doing in the car, such as downloading updates to your infotainment system, to the engine control system, the suspension system, and, of course, mapping and other things needed when you go autonomous. But, Paul, you're raising an interesting point there, because I did, wasn't it Tesla that just recently released yes. one of those massive downloads for one? Yes, they did, but they, uh, they, and they've since updated the release. They, they released something called Autopilot, which oh, yeah. is the, the farthest anybody has gone, gone towards autonomous vehicles. In fact, probably too far. They had to issue an update to roll back some of the capabilities. That's of it right. Because people were actually abusing the technology, I, and in some cases they were, they were really close to having some serious well, I They I were heard, going to sleep, yeah, well, and they were having any attention. And they're on YouTube, they were posting videos of themselves in the back seat. Yeah, yeah, I know. I oh, know. it was just—it was crazy. It was just very, very dangerous, and and uh, I can see why they rolled it back. <laughs> yeah, right now it is. The technology wasn't designed to do what they were right. doing. These people right. were basically but saying, it, "Ah, let's see how far we can take it." But it was working. It was. Now they almost had a couple of problems. There was, for example, one instance where uh, the system tried to follow the line, and uh, it meant it was going along, I believe, at seventy miles an hour, and suddenly it tried to go on to the exit ramp or on-ramp onto a freeway at a high speed mm-hmm. rather than following the road. So they, they had to change that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, this is the problem. I, right. I have been doing a lot of research about autonomous technology. I drove for 45 minutes in an autonomous vehicle in Tokyo traffic uh, before the Tokyo Motor Show. Hmm. And there's a lot of very cool stuff, very extensive capabilities being added. But the problem is that they're, every time they, they develop something and they think they've got it nailed, they discover one more little detail that has to be dealt with. For right. example, uh, when I was driving through traffic, a cop walked out at an intersection uh, to, to hold up traffic to let some construction gear out. And we, we, had just, we were just entering the, the intersection, so we didn't have to stop. But I asked Ijima-san, the guy who was running the Nissan program, uh, it was a Nissan vehicle I'm driving, what would have happened? And he said, well, we would have seen him, if it was a second or two earlier, as an obstacle and stopped. However, they have a new system, the updated technology they're launching, which would have gone around him, avoided him, just like they might have avoided you know, a, a car racing through an intersection. Um, uh-huh. and, and so now you, here's, here's an interesting point. How do you program your car not just to avoid an obstacle, but to recognize that's not just a pedestrian walking across right. the street, 
but a cop holding his hand up <laughs> to stop traffic for all lanes. A very special pedestrian. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> could so, give you a ticket so, if you didn't yeah. do it. <laughs> so. though, though I will tell you this. A colleague, friend of mine, I, I, you may have read her stuff, Joanne Muller from Forbes, uh, has a story that she just did. And I don't like to plug too many money competitors in the work. <laughs> but Joanne has a wonderful piece on Forbes. Uh, I think the title is An Autonomous Vehicle Saved My Life. She was testing one at CES. I believe it was a Delphi vehicle. And it was turning into an intersection when a couple of cars ran a stoplight at high speed. Ooh. And, you know, she's an experienced auto rider. She knows what cars can do. And she said the vehicle slammed its brakes. It, even though it was already engaged in the corner, a human driver would have been looking the wrong way. Right. And Ooh. wouldn't have been able to stop in time. And this thing actually was able to avoid a certain collision with a couple of uh, a couple of red light runners. Wow. We're talking, about, by the way, with Paul Eisenstein, who is the editor of uh, the Detroit Bureau, one of the authoritative spots to go to find out so, what's going on in the auto industry. So, Paul, I, um, you know, there was one instance that I know of where uh, the police pulled over a, a <laughs> yeah. Google car and, and couldn't figure out who to give the ticket to because there was no driver. <laughs> well, so, they... Now, this is even more funny because the reason it was pulled over, and it, it, he never really was going to give him a ticket. Right. They were going too slow. Yeah. They were only <laughs> programmed <laughs> to go 25 miles an hour, and this was a 35-mile-an-hour zone, right? Zone, right. Yeah. It was one of those little Google-mobiles look looked like they came out of the movie Sleeper, you know, the old Woody <laughs> Allen movie. <laughs> right. And, and, yes. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, they... they um, they pulled it over because it was. Oops, sorry about that. <laughs> sorry about that. My, uh, I didn't realize I had my speakers on. Anyway, uh, it, yeah. So they uh, they pulled it over to advise the driver that he was going too slow, and then realized there was no driver on board. I have a I have a photo up on the side. It's just great to see, and the. Uh, that that's one of the issues that Google is dealing with. Now, Paul, uh, before we get to, uh, we could probably spend the whole program talking about the the autonomous vehicles. Uh, just before we wrap this up, and we're going to be taking a break in just a moment. I, my understanding is that what's happening more and more is we're not talking about our cars driving for us, but only in certain areas rather than all over the place. They would like, for instance, the heavy urban areas. Uh-huh. Autonomous vehicles could be really, really effective. Paul Eisenstein, the editor of the Detroit Bureau, is our guest. We're going to return, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the car and truck of the year and uh, see if we can straighten something out about the provenance of one of those vehicles. That's all coming up next on the Internet Advisor. Welcome back to the Internet Advisor. Foster Brown, Gary Baker, and Ed Rudell in studio here. And with us on our line from the North American International Auto Show is Paul Eisenstein, who is uh, the editor of TheDetroitBureau.com, a great source for analysis of what's going on in the car industry all year long, if you're interested in that kind of thing. Paul, thank you again so much for being here with us. See if you can help us with something. As Ed and I were driving over in the car, I was remembering that the two vehicles for the North American uh, Car and and Truck of the Year, the NACTOY, were the uh, Honda Civic for the car, right? Honda Civic for the car. And then the, the truck was actually an SUV. It was yep. the Volvo XC90, and we, changed, we actually changed it this year to formally recognize that it's the uh, Truck and Utility Vehicle Award. Ah. Though, you know, we simplify it by still saying NAC toy, uh, yeah, 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 car yeah. and truck. Uh, it, it, it just reflects a reality. There are fewer and fewer truck trucks, if you will. That's true. Classic yeah. 
trucks based on truck-like or body-on-frame platforms. Well, now here's a question we had, and see if you can straighten this out. I thought I had heard that Volvo had been purchased by a Chinese company. In fact, they were. And in fact, while there's been a lot of attention paid to uh, General Motors bringing over a Chinese-made vehicle, the Buick Envision, the small crossover utility, the very, very, very first passenger car brought over to the United States from China was a Volvo, uh, a stretched version of the S60 sedan called the Insignia. Very, very small numbers. And by the way, now we're going to see a third vehicle, or second from GM. Uh, They're going to bring the plug-in hybrid vehicle uh, version of their new CT6 Cadillac. Oh, the Cadillac, right. uh, Because the plug-in is primarily aimed for China, whereas, you know, uh, their pollution problems are so bad, the government has been pressing very hard for the industry to start using alternate powertrains, primarily battery. I'm just so they expect, they expect the vast majority of those vehicles to be sold in China, and they'll bring a few hundred, they say. They're expecting to bring at most a few hundred of them over a month. So we finally have a market force for adopting electric vehicles, <laughs> and that right. is China, where I, that, the, whole, the whole consumption in China has had a tremendous impact on manufacturing in the U.S. and also all across the board. Well, first of all, China is now the world's largest automotive market. Yep. Uh, it's very, very close to becoming the world's largest luxury automotive market. And uh, I believe last year, uh, the numbers I saw were preliminary, but last year they were supposed to close the books on 2015, with China being the world's largest market for battery-based vehicles, which range from... uh, I think in in that, by the way, they're not talking about hybrids. They're talking about primarily plug-based vehicles, such as plug-in hybrids and battery electric. This is fascinating. No, or, or here's, the, here's the final question that Ed, that Ed and I were asking. Does this mean that this is the first Chinese vehicle to be named car of the uh, truck or utility vehicle of the year? Well, it's a Chinese-owned company, but it's okay. still a Swedish it's company. Okay. It, okay. The car was may, is being made in Sweden. So, okay. uh, you, you know, it's like... Uh, Jaguar is getting a lot of great press, and you can call it an Indian company. It's owned by Tata Motors out of India, but it's still a very British company, and this is still a very Swedish company. All the executives who run it are there, and I, I've talked with them a lot. and They, they really do have pretty much a, a sense of independence of anything. The Chinese are saying, teach us how to build better I got cars. you. I got you. All right. Paul, I want to move on to something because we've talked about the connection, and you initially did, between the Consumer Electronics Show and the, the Detroit Auto Show going on right now. Um, talk a little bit about this, what we're seeing more and more of, which is the kind of the, the cross-pollination, if you will, between the auto industry and the Internet of Things. Yeah, that's an interesting area. Okay, first of all, you have more microprocessors in the typical car than you have in the typical home right now. That's going to change in the years ahead because, uh, what was it? Um, Oh, gosh, now I'm drawing a blank on the big consulting firm. They issued a report out uh, of CES just a week ago uh, that said uh, they expect to have, that the average home will have about 500 connected devices, Internet of Things devices within the next decade. Wow. I mean, everything from your coffee pot to your washing machine to your, uh, of course, your light switches and plugs and mm-hmm. the like. Mm-hmm. And uh, the automobile, interestingly enough, is going to be one of the ways that you a- access the Internet of Things and, in particular, the stuff at your house. Uh, 
I, one of the one of the more interesting things that I just uh, uh, I, I I've just seen was the announcement that Ford is going to is pairing with Amazon, so that Alexa, who is just woken up in my uh, in my <laughs> office, Alexa, can you say hello? Nope, she won't say hello. She's being shy, uh, but she would if I asked her. She would say, Alexa, what's the weather? And she'll tell you that. Uh, but um, you will be able to use Alexa, for example, to call your house and open up, uh, say, your Chamberlain garage opener as you get close. You'll be able to use voice to turn uh, temperature, you know, sure. turn the thermostat up or, or so on. Or open the garage door. By the way, we should mention to folks, Alexa is the, like, Siri and um, uh, Microsoft's um, uh, Cortana, Cortana, but it Cortana, operates out right. of a variety of different technologies. Right, and this is, this is Amazon's technology for voice activation. It's called Alexa. And we Which probably have woken up a whole bunch of them around. <laughs> yeah, you know, every time I say Alexa, she wakes up and the, the blue ring goes on. I have four of them at my home and cottage. Uh, plus, I have a couple fire TVs, and that's not meant to be a plug. I just happen to have a lot of it. Um, but the idea, you, I, you can, I can right now, for example, turn up or down my lights and do things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, going forward, you're going to see even more than that, uh, and, and you'll be able to do it from the car. One of the things I really got a kick out of was the Volkswagen announcement at the show. They showed off two electric vehicles. Heavy emphasis on connected technology. There was a uh, the Golf Touch, e-Golf Touch. So it's a battery electric vehicle with all sorts of gesture controls and ability to plug into the Internet of Things. They also showed off the Buddy. Capital B U D D dash E. The Buddy, which is sort of a modern take of the '60s era microbus that everybody loves. Uh, and oh yeah. And now, will they build it? Maybe, maybe not. But they did say a lot of the technology in it will be, will be in production. And I love this. So it was very similar. You'll be able to operate all sorts of connected technology. They said, you know, the, your garage door, your thermostat, Fascinating. And, and your lights. But in typical German fashion, what they, what they seemed to really be emphasizing was another thing. As you know, a lot of people are talking about refrigerators that will know oh, yes. what's what's in them, right, and be able to alert you. Well, I loved it because one of the things that clearly mattered to them was the ability to have the the, the refrigerator call you up in your car and say, bring home more beer. <laughs> Bring home the bacon <laughs> and the beer. The beer. <laughs> uh, good German company. <laughs> I love that. Well, Paul, as you've looked at the uh, the vehicles that are on display there, what one would you like to drive off the lot? Oh, you're talking at the show now. Are we talking high-tech or just one that I would love to drive? One that you'd love to drive. All right. Purely new vehicles, there are two that I would really like to see. One going in production and one I am screaming at their executives to get put in production. That The latter is the Avista. That is the oh, yeah. concept coupe from Buick. Absolutely stunning. Yes. Uh, it's the second year in a row that Buick has won the design award from Eyes on Design and will probably win a lot of other design awards for this you know for having a just a gorgeous concept and we're hoping that we'll see some of those actually make it into production the other one which surprised me because i'm not typically a fan was the new lexus lc 500 uh, it's it's the production version coming up next year of the uh, lf uh, LFLC, a vehicle most people did not expect them to build. And in fact, Toyota's CEO told us he really didn't think that they were going to build it either. It was going to be just a show car. 
But I think they got tired of us all the time saying that Lexus was such a boring car. Mm. And uh, I loved it. Uh, Akio Toyota, grandson of the founder of Toyota, uh, said, uh, we hope this will be the last time that we'll be hearing people use the words <laughs> boring and Lexus in the same, <laughs> in the set. same sentence. What is, what's unique about the Lexus LC500? Just beautiful. Oh, it's that's a gorgeous a car. Uh, the base model will have only 467 horsepower. Only. <laughs> only. Uh, the, they are working on an LCF, which I expect to be, and the plan is to be over 600. Uh, there's going to be a convertible. We, we broke that exclusively on the DetroitBureau.com. There is an, uh, an LC convertible coming about a year later. Wow. And this, is, this shows you where the market is going. This is, this is a very important one. There's also a hybrid in development, uh-huh. but it won't be the typical dog-slow Lexus hybrid. You know, all about mileage and driver mm-hmm. excitement be damned. Uh, <laughs> that one is supposedly going to be a performance, you know, much wow. more performance-oriented. Mm-hmm. Now, the, you, caught, you caught the announcements about the Bolt, right? Right, exactly, right. Okay, uh, here is a compact crossover, battery-powered. Zero to sixty in seven seconds. I know. And remember, you have the Chevy, you have the Tesla Model S with the ludicrous mode that'll hit sixty in two point nine seconds. Paul, I, at that speed, we've got to cut this off because we're at the end. It's always there's much more to talk with you about. Paul Eisenstein, the editor at the DetroitBureau.com. Check it out for more information on the car show. Paul, again, thanks for being with us again this year. My pleasure. Take care of yourself. Back in just a minute to talk about electricity. Thank you very much for joining us here on the Internet Advisor. And wait, wait, this is only the first hour. That's right, we got a second hour coming up. And that really is your hour. That's the hour that we open up our phone lines. And Gary and Ed, and I'll try to pitch in a little bit there, will be trying to help you as you call us with your questions at 800-859-0957. So, for instance, if you've gotten no... A laptop for Christmas and you've been having some problems with it or you have some concerns with your computer, whatever it may be, we'd love to help you. And you've got a special doorway to that, and that is by simply calling 800-859-0957 between 5 and 6 o'clock. Your very own special time to call in and get some answers to your questions, okay? Right now, however, I want to uh, switch over to, uh, uh, we've been talking a lot about cars and especially electronic vehicles or electric vehicles and uh, powering them. And that whole subject of getting power to electric vehicles has become a bigger and bigger subject all along. So I was watching some of the news coming out of the CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, and lo and behold, I saw something that absolutely caught my imagination. And it was about a company called Ytricity. And with us right now is David Chats. He's the Vice President of Sales and Business Development for this company. And David, thank you very much for joining us here on the Internet Advisor. It's my pleasure. David, uh, first of all, let's talk about what Ytricity is and how it delivers electric electricity to uh, devices. Certainly. So the, the name of the company, Ytricity, is a combination of two words, wireless electricity. And the idea is that we can move energy from point A to point B uh, over distance in a way that's very efficient, that's perfectly safe for people without a wire connecting the point A and point B. So in the case of an electric car, the example is that you would have a charging pad on the, gr- on the floor of your garage connected to, um, you know, plugged into the wall. And on your vehicle, 
underneath the vehicle would be a receiver pad that was built into the car by the car maker. And when you pull into your garage, you just park it, and lo and behold, energy moves directly from the power grid into your vehicle mm-hmm. without you having to do anything, without having to plug the no, vehicle. No in. plugs, no plugs involved in the thing. You would just simply pull it in, and it would charge. Do I understand that there's also it's, it's faster in terms of transmitting the electricity? Um, well, we like to say it's every bit as fast as uh, as a wired charger. So um, okay. the charging rate of these vehicles is usually measured, expressed in something called kilowatts. Mm-hmm. And um, these uh, wireless chargers can charge up to uh, 11 or even 25 kilowatt charge rate, which is just as fast as uh, as plugging it into a high-tech uh, wired charger. Okay. You know, okay. now it sounds like, um, I mean, you you must have been thinking of this, but... Where I think this really becomes interesting technology, not that it's not interesting right now, but really interesting technology, because I can get a really small battery to put in my car, and you could charge it if I'm going 70 miles an hour down the expressway. Is that possible? Or is that in the future? Yeah, there's a lot of people that have a vision of um, powered roadways, Mm -hmm. where the roadway itself can deliver power to vehicles as you're moving or at stop signs. Because now and we can make a lot the... of very interesting research going on yeah. around the world for that. Um, that's that, that's a visionary um, way of using the technology. Within the next really two or three years, we're going to start to see it delivered um, in the first form, and that is uh, together with a either plug-in hybrid or battery electric vehicle with a charging pad that you can have on the floor of your garage. So, again, mm. no muss, no fuss, no plugs. Or our tinkerer here, Ed Riddell, wants to ask some questions. Well, you know, I, I watched your TEDx video, and I thought it found it fascinating. And, and, and by I, the way, we link to that on our homepage, internetadvisor.net. If you go to the show, you'll find the link to that. Right, and, 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 and in, the, uh, in the video, you were talking about the home electronics and how so many devices could be instantly cordless. You have lights and televisions, and it's just a fascinating um, uh, uh the video and discussion and but my main question is is this actually using um you know collapsing magnetic fields or is this using radio frequency because i know with radio frequency you have to get fcc licensing and stuff like that so how is this actually working okay well it's a very good question and stop me if i go into too much technical detail but um the technology uses magnetic uh, magnetic fields to transfer energy from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Um, but it uses what we call uh, an oscillating magnetic field. So it's not as if you uh-huh. just have a, like a permanent magnet that you could, you know, that has an attractive force that you could, if you put a piece of metal next to it, it attracts it. Mm-hmm. Um, these are electromagnets and they use alternating current that, to drive them and they create a magnetic field that oscillates in time, and it does so at a pretty high frequency, similar to um, uh, low-frequency radios. And um, by this virtue of this oscillating magnetic field that is very safe for people and that can go over distance through many, many kinds of materials, this field can then move energy from the ground to the vehicle in a way that's perfectly safe. It does come under the purview of the uh, FCC mm-hmm. um, because you have to make sure that these systems won't interfere with other kinds of right. radio frequency mm-hmm. devices that people use. 
So, I, by the way, this has been the FCC approved, am I right? I, at least one point in that video was uh, showing that they had the FCC license. There are many products, uh, any of the products for consumer electronics mm -hmm. space have already received FCC approval. Excellent. That's right. I, one of the things I wanted to ask, hang on a second, um, David. Uh, David Schatz is our, our guest here. He's the Vice President of Sales and Business Development for Y-Tricity. By the way, on our website, you'll see that video there, and uh, you can watch it because it's fascinating. Uh, Ed, you had a question. And, and, and that's what I was going to recommend. Please watch the video if you have any curiosity in this. And, uh, you know, I just love scrolling Ted through TEDx videos one at a time. Yeah. I used to, to pick and choose TED videos. You don't have to. Every one of them is interesting. I know. They're all... So, but, the you know, what makes this product so revolutionary is usually... Uh, wireless charging has been related to centimeters, and what we're talking about is feet. Okay, now, David, explain uh, along those lines, Ed, what's the difference between the uh, charging pads that are out there now and what you're doing with Whitricity? Sure. The uh, charging pads that you can get, like for a Samsung phone right. and a few other phones, those use something that's called uh, magnetic induction. Magnetic induction was invented in 1831, and it hasn't changed very much since then. And mag magnetic induction is a way of having two coils of wire very close together, mm -hmm. um, not touching, uh, so that they have electrical contact. In fact, there can be like plastic or something in between them. Okay. Maybe only a few millimeters of material in between them. They have to be perfectly lined up. They have to be the exact same size. Uh. Um, and if you move them uh, with respect to each other or if you put some distance, the efficiency um, drops off. Okay terrible way and it's useless but it's the same technology that's used in an electric toothbrush so if you can drop your toothbrush into a little cradle it works great um, the technology of electricity is based on something called magnetic resonance and that allows you to take the phone and move it uh, quite a distance away from the source mm -hmm. and still have high efficiency energy transfer no, at they, CES okay. we were showing uh, laptop computers yes that were charging with uh, 30 watts Wow. Using this technology, and those are going to be introduced into the market later this year. So this is this is becoming a reality now, folks, and that's what I wanted to kind of get to in the end here, David. There, this may have begun back in uh, 2012. Now it has ripened, if you will. So we are really seeing some practical explanations of this, uh, examples of it. David Chats, thanks so much for being with us. We've run out of time. Folks, if you have got more curiosity about this, go to internetadvisor.net, and then under David's uh, heading there, you'll see a, a link to a YouTube video that will show so much more. David, thanks so much for being with us. That's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, folks, hang on to your hats. We're going to take a break right now in just a moment for the news and the weather at the top of the hour. And then after that, the phone lines are open for you at 800-859-0957. And our team of tech experts are going to be standing by to do something we've been doing for 18 years in Detroit, and that is answering your questions. Again, that number is 800-859-0957. The Internet Advisor. You're listening to a podcast of the Internet Advisor Show. To see the show notes for this program, visit our homepage, theinternetadvisor.net. You'll discover past podcasts, our free toolkit with software to clean up your computer and keep it running strong, and many other resources. You'll also find links to MITechnews.com, our co-sponsored weekly tech and entrepreneur newsletter, edited by Mike Brennan. If you have a question for our hosts, just click the contact button on the homepage and send us an email with the details. And don't forget to look for us on Facebook and Twitter and at Detroit's newest podcast network, podcastdetroit.com. 
Now, let's get back to the second hour of the Internet Advisor. Hello, Foster Bell with you as the producer and co-host of the program here with Gary Baker and Ed Rudell, and we're ready to take your call. Some folks are already lining up. That's the idea. The early bird gets the answers in this particular case. Our number is 800-859-0957. That's 800-859-0957. Call us with your question, and we'll do our very best to get an answer for you here on the Internet Advisor in your hour, this second hour of the program. Mike Brennan will be coming up in just a moment with some headlines from MI Tech News. Welcome to hour number two of the Internet Advisor. I'd like to salute our engineer, Mike Stett. Thank you so much, sir, for all you're doing. He is not only handling uh, the engineering of the program, he is a person you'll be talking to when you call in. Two and jobs. The two jobs. We've got Jenny and we've got Claude waiting to talk with us. And by the way, the own lines are open for you, too, at 800-859-0957. You know, I thought we'd get to talk with Mike Brennan right away because Mike, uh, every week, gets on with us about this time. And we talk about uh, some of the headlines that he has as an MI Tech News. But Mike Brennan, I understand this last week you did a special broadcast for your podcast called M Squared TechCast right from the floor of the International Auto Show. Yeah, third floor, actually, because that way I wasn't so loud. Yeah, but uh, I, right there in Cobo, did it for a half an hour with uh, Matt. He was in the studio in Ferndale. Matt Roush, right? Matt, Matt Roush, yes. And uh, so it was good. I mean, we talked about, because he had gone there in the morning both days. Well, he, that was the Monday when we did it. So he'd gone there in the morning that Monday. So we kind of compared notes, what he liked, what I liked, and kind of bantered back and forth. And hopefully it was informative for everybody listening. Very interesting, especially hearing two pros like you who have been to so many of them talking about the show. Absolutely fascinating. By the way, that's uh, uh, at uh, M Squared TechCast. You can find links to that off of our homepage as well. Mike, let's talk about some of your headlines to give people an idea of what they could get with MI Tech News every week. And by the way, folks, that's an absolutely free news service that you can sign up for. All it takes is your email address and uh, no money. And every week on Wednesdays, you'll get the feed with the podcast and with the other audio uh, services, uh, our program, IT and the D, M Squared TechCast. And then on Fridays, you'll get a whole list of headlines and stories about technology and entrepreneurship in our fair state of Michigan. Some examples of that, Mike, uh, this week uh, you talked about Department of of, uh, Transportation Secretary Fox proposing a rather large fund to develop autonomous vehicles. $4 billion over the next decade. Of course, Congress has to approve it. Uh, but it would, uh, you know, the, the, the government is sort of the, the arbiter of the, what the infrastructure is going to be, what the regulations are going to be, what the rules are going to be. And that's what the industry re- needs right now because they don't know exactly how to move forward because we're breaking such new ground here. None of the regs would cover driverless cars, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a brand new category. And then same thing around the world. I mean, every country does something different. And so they really want to get some sort of standardization. The U.S. is going to hopefully lead the way. And uh, NHTSA is involved in that with safety and everything else. So Very so, important. So, Mike, this isn't to develop those vehicles. It's to come up with regulation and laws and rules right. and ways to create standardization to reduce innovation and to... Uh, so you can see where I'm going. What if they didn't pass this and people were able to innovate the way they wanted to and needed to to get this industry off the ground? Well, that's pretty much what's happening right now is everyone's moving on their own. You've got the Google car. I mean, right. you've got the Apple car uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and only three states allow these vehicles to be tested on the highways on the public highways in Michigan is one of those states uh, so I mean I suppose it could go all haphazard and, and, and just sort of find its own high water mark but almost like I the think internet. If you, 
<laughs> yeah, right, pretty much. I mean, the Internet's the Wild West. You know, it's yeah. like whatever goes, goes, baby, you know. So, but I think because you're talking about driverless vehicles on public highways where right. people could get killed or hurt, that we need some sort of government involvement in that. Yep, and and that standardization, it's interesting we saw it with drones just happening recently yeah. as well, which is a, another right. area that you do need some kind of public control. Hey, another headline I saw in here, which is interesting, and maybe those touch on this as last one, we're running out of time, but 35 student internships are available now uh, out in southwest Michigan through the Monroe-Brown program. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, southwest Michigan first is the the academic development group down in Kalamazoo, and they're, they help kind of cobble this whole thing together. 31 companies are offering uh, juniors, seniors, and graduate students from uh, some of the uh, schools over on the western side of the state, plus MSU and U of M. But the kicker is you have to be have to have gone to a Kalamazoo high school to qualify. It's part of all that Kalamazoo Promise stuff that they're mm, doing. Mm. Um, but uh, once you're hired, you get 400 hours between May and September uh, full-time work. You get paid for it. You're working at great companies that you can put on the resume. You make uh, they give you $3,000 in scholarship money. I mean, it's wow. a heck of a deal. I you know, so, and Mike, this is a good example that the information, the stories are in MI Tech News are from stories all across the state, and it could be uh, in the Grand Rapids area, it could be in Detroit, it could be anywhere uh, up in the, uh, Northern Michigan University could be one of the places we're talking about, but Mike gathers those stories from all over the state about entrepreneurship and also about the technology that is being um, promoted in our state and things that impact that technology. And once again, you can tap into that free of charge. If this is the kind of thing you're interested in, every Friday you'll get a load of this information with all these uh, headlines and full story links to full stories at mitechnews.com. That's where you can go, by the way, to sign up. All it takes is your email address. No money has to change hands. Or you can go to our homepage, internetadvisor.net, and look for Mike's smiling face, and there you will find it. Hey, final question for you, Mike. What vehicle yeah. would you have liked to have driven off the floor show at the International Auto Show? Oh, gosh. You know, I had the Viper one time on the Chelsea test track oh. with Chrysler going about 140 miles an hour, and I recall the engineer saying to me, I think we're going fast enough, Mr. Brennan, and I go, no, we're not. <laughs> so, uh, probably, but I mean, it's, it's not a, the kind of car you drive around town much. It's just no. crazy fun, but it's, uh, why not, right? So the Viper, the Viper is yeah, your, your I love fun it, memory. Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Mike, well, we'll, we'll put you back in a more sedate mode then. <laughs> Take care of yourself, Mike, and thanks so much for being with us. That's Mr. Mike Brennan, who is the editor of MI Tech News and a wild and crazy guy. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to start taking your calls. Claude, you have been very patient. We're going to be with you shortly. And then Jenny from Brownstown. And your call is next at 800-859-0957. Back to answer your questions in just a moment. Welcome back. This is uh, your hour of the Internet Advisor. We don't often get a chance to do this, so I am delighted that we can open our phone lines at 800-859-0957 to take your calls and to get some help for you. Let's go right to Claude. Claude, thank you for being so patient and waiting for your turn. How can we help you here on the Internet Advisor? Well, here's what I've got. I've got a uh, server in my office running Windows Server 2003. Mm-hmm. Well, the hard drive went bad, so I went ahead and I went to... Um, uh, Walmart. So I bought a two terabyte drive, got it hooked up, and it won't it won't recognize the drive. And no. I I just don't know what I'm doing. It doesn't say 2003 on the box, and Western Digital is like, oh, it doesn't support. And I I I just don't believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That doesn't even sound no. right. I mean, you, so have you gone into the disk management tools to see if it's even recognized as as an external device? 
I, I went into there with tech support, and I've see, I believe I've seen the device, and it said drive location zero. Um, but I, I have... I. I think it recognizes it, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah, I mean, the, what I usually do on computers like this, and I believe you could do this with 2003, is uh, yeah, you can go into disk management. I, I, it really sounds like it's a partitioning issue. I mean, even with larger hard drives with the old NTFS, you, you could still have uh, huge hard drives. Uh, you just have to partition them different. Yeah, to back down to two. That you're going to have to go in there and using some disk management software and and, and shrink those partitions. Is there another solution to this, for instance, using what are called RAID drives, where you can add... He'd run into com- the same thing. He'd run into the same thing. Okay. Yeah, because the whole thing is he has to partition it. I gotcha. Um, what, what happens when you plug the hard drive into one of your desktop computers? Does it work? Um, yeah, it works just fine. Matter of fact, the way I've got it running now is I hooked it up to a Windows 7 machine, mm-hmm. and then just shared the drive on the network, and then I mapped the drive on the server... You know, as a uh, map network drive, and I've got it recognized that way. But I'd rather have the drive just hooked right to the no, no, of course. You know what I would do? I I would use your Windows Seven system and use the partition management of that. Try shrinking it down to like two two one terabyte hard drives. Or 500 gigabyte partitions. Play around with it. You have time. Well, so have Windows for, uh, Windows 7 to be able to to use the Windows 7 tools to shrink the partition sizes down. Yeah, now you, have, the, a, uh, you have another... The file system the same on both? Because somebody said I might have to reformat the drive. It's, I don't think that's No, true, I don't think you have to have because to it's based on the it. USB. It's only when you take an internal... No, it, it should still work. So Gary, you have, what were you going to say? Well, you have another issue, right? Yeah, right. Which is um, Windows Server... Uh, 2003 end of life support was last July, July 14th. Right, right. So you're out of support on that on that server. It's just a matter of time before you're going to go. Oh boy, maybe yeah. you might use different terms, but uh, <laughs> you, you, that's that's going to go, and you're not going to have support. Nobody use, yeah. use this as a business so, as just so file you sharing. Probably need to just upgrade it, right? If well, actually, most of us I run have, a call center, and we use it for our call recording software, so it's running, you know, basically a twenty thousand dollar program on there. And I've been meaning to upgrade it, but I don't want to have to spend thousands of dollars for these companies to come out there and upgrade it. If it's working yeah. fine, I'm like, why? bother messing with it. Oh, I got you. Well, I, I, so if like almost every company I know is required, right, to, if you get a, um, if you have somebody come in and, and do some sort of uh, assessment for you, um, you're going to have to replace that. So if you have an auditor. You're talking about the server. Like the server. server. Right. So. You mean to be certified and, and as a. Well, yes, because yeah. you're out of support. and. Yeah. So you know. So Claude, anyway, that's I, I, I don't want to tell you, you know, that that you have to do it, but and you we probably can certainly should. We can certainly understand the economics of why you want to not do that, but just to keep that in mind is another factor, Claude. Okay, yeah. I, I do not right. have the specifics on how to correct his issue, but if this was mine, I would take it to a Windows Seven system and and reduce the partition sizes down to either five hundred gigabyte or uh, partition sizes, and just see if it's recognized at that point. Break gotcha. it down to four or 500 gigabytes, right. or at least... So yeah. separately take it to a Windows 7 system. Yeah, but, or just put one 500 gigabyte on there and leave the other ones unspecified, mm-hmm. and then plug it into plug your it, server and see it if it's recognized. In. Okay, Claude? Okay, thank you. Okay, a bunch of things to try there, but thank you very much for calling. Now, by the way, folks, that was a, a pretty high-tech kind of a question to have for most of the people who are listening. Right. I want you just to know that any level of question is more than welcome here. Eight hundred eight five nine zero nine five seven. Jenny from Brownstown. How may we help you, ma'am? 
Hey, gentlemen. Um, okay, this is really low tech. <laughs> Good. I have, I have, um, I have a Kyocera Kona phone, a cell phone, mm-hmm. and um, I have the speech on it because I can't see, so I'm using the speech. Okay. And I have a Sprint plan. It's a data. I have a little bit of data this month. I'll have more next month. Okay. But right now I have one gig of data, and um, it's not Wi-Fi. It's I'm using the Data Connect plan. I'm and, sorry, you're using um, the data to what plan? Data uh, Connect plan. Oh, Data Connect data, plan. Yeah, data, um, data Connect or whatever, because um, my phone doesn't use Wi-Fi. If I remember so, right, the Karyasias were basically using the old Palm Pilot OS, weren't they? I don't think she would know. Oh, okay. Right Anyways, right. okay. Go, no go ahead, Jenny. Go ahead, Jenny. So, what is your okay, what is so your issue, hon? So, all right. So, right now, um, I only have one gigabyte of data. Okay. And that's fine. But I wanted to. Can you give me a couple of concrete examples of what I can do with that, so that I don't run over? Can um, like I already went up to CNN, and I looked at a couple. I looked at one article. And I tried to go on Google, which I did get there, mm-hmm. but they want me to, they said sign in recommended, but I have no clue how to do that. To sign into Google? Yeah. Do you have a, a Gmail account? Um, yes. Okay, well that would be how you would sign in to Google, would be okay. to enter your Gmail account and put your password in there. That way it'll recognize you and all of your settings then are saved. Now, is that, is that the question you were asking? Um, well, that was one of, do I have to sign in? Yeah, well, it, it's worth your while to sign in to Google because then it will recognize you and all okay. of the other things that you set up. For instance, I can go to any computer and when I log in with my Google settings on Chrome, which is their browser, it takes all of my favorites and everything else and it populates them there. Okay, well, I'll try. Hopefully well, well, I can find where to do it at. Um but anyway... Well, the, uh, the, the uh, one question is, it, it, does this phone run Android? Because, uh, or how old is this phone as far as... Uh, um, well, it doesn't... It, I don't think it's an... It's not an Android phone. It just has... It has what I want on it. It has a keypad. <laughs> right. It, it probably... It has a keypad. Yeah, and I understand that, too. Yeah. And it probably is a, an Android phone, I'm going to guess. Right. Yeah. Well, no, it's, I think it's the Palm one, oh, actually. Oh, okay. Because okay. Curiosia had a Palm phone, and they were wonderful devices. Uh, and and th- is, is this device possibly up to 10 years old? No. Oh, good. Thank goodness. So I'm just not familiar with I haven't heard this phone name in a long time. Jenny, do you have a store that you can go to where the people can help you with this? Um, probably. Um, I, I would think because of your being visually impaired, that it would be good to go someplace where you can talk with people and they can take a look at these things for you. Yeah, but her ultimate question was also, is she doesn't want to go over the one gigabyte right. plan. Right, that's what I mean. If you so, go to the store where they have the plan, they might Exactly. Help and so one of the things I do, because I have an Android phone and my wife and kids do, and we actually share 500 megabyte. I'm cheapskate, right? Wow. So we share 500 gigabyte with the kids, and I had turn off all their auto updates on all of our Android phones, uh, right? And so they only use data when they're Wi-Fi, or if they're stranded, they turn on data so they can use maps when they drive, right. and if they get lost. That's it. If you want to use the internet, you go to a hotspot, right? I ain't paying for it. I'm a cheap son of a gun. Okay, well, so, can I? So can one I at of the least things. Look up, can I at least look at articles a little bit? 
before oh. my month is over and I get my new plan. You're you're not going to be using a whole lot of data when you're looking at articles, correct? But okay. one of the things that will kill you is if your phone is continuously looking for updates for all the apps you've installed, or at least for the operating system, if this is truly Android, that will chew up a little bit of data, um, and so will navigation. And But you, you best go over this with your cellular provider, and I'm sure they can help you. And Jenny, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you on hold right now. We'll talk a little bit more with you on hold about some of this, see if we can give you some other tips as well. But for the rest of you, the phone lines are open, 800 859-0957. What's your question that we can help get some answers for you? Thank you for joining us here on this second hour of the Internet Advisor. I may have kind of caught you by surprise that there's somebody here on the air answering questions about your computers because we're not always on the air with the weekends. Uh, that often it's because of uh, basketball schedules that are here, other sports schedules, and being shifted around a bit. So uh, we do every week, however, record a program between 4 and 6 p.m. And we uh, make a podcast out of that. So if you'd like to hear both hours that we record every weekend, and that will be with our guests and uh, sometimes questions that have been emailed to us during the week, then you simply go to internetadvisor.net on Sunday night and you can download the podcast from there. Or you can go to iTunes and subscribe to Internet Advisor dash podcast feed. You have to have those four words in there and you'll get the whole show. You'll get um, our podcast plus all the show notes that go along with it. So for instance, like today, we have a link to that uh, video about the Y-Tricity, uh, which is the fascinating way of uh, broadcasting power that was developed by a company out of the Boston area. You'll find links to that as well. However, right now, and for roughly the next 25 minutes, we have phone lines open at 800-859-0957. And I realize that there are uh, not many people who are used at this time of day to seeing on Saturdays that there's a place I can call and get some answers. But we'd love to help you out. So for 25 minutes, we're going to sit here, and Ed and Gary and I are going to do our best to answer your questions. During that last commercial break, we were talking. Gary brought up about one of our previous callers. Did you want to talk about that at all? About you know, we don't want to scare our listeners, but but if you're running such an old um, uh, Microsoft product, we was running what NT Server 2003. Well, when, yeah, Windows Server 2003. I mean, and the security. I mean, Microsoft stopped support on that, and the right. security updates, right? Right. And 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 what's and the big that, thing we that would was think their of? Extended support ended. Yes, on the 14th of July. Uh, this last summer, so oh wow! And if you and, actually have customer data on there, yeah. So it it's just something you you know you you need to stay up on technology, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a it's a little bit similar to if you were driving a Model T and uh, you're driving on today's roads. There's certain requirements on the roads that a Model T doesn't conform to, right? You right. have to have certain headlight taillight restrictions sure. and there's other things <laughs> and at least your doors locked on modern cars and a model t they didn't even have car locks that's right so <laughs> anyone could open the car door and take whatever they wanted out of the model t mm -hmm. it's the same thing with a windows 2003 server yeah. okay i'm sorry people the, the security updates that are uh on there people could easily hack into that you know and i all there's kind of a culture out there and i think um i've heard you say this at times yeah, that you don't always you in the past you didn't always install all the updates when they came because sometimes they were they were buggy, and you and, wanted to make sure that they were working. And that was the case in 2003, because every once in a while you'd get a stinker from Microsoft that right. would crash your computer, right? right. Yeah. But nowadays, I think it seems to be that, well, Microsoft, I think, is trying to make it as hard as possible for you 
to use their products without updating. I well, mean, the updates are pushed automatically. It's safer for all of us, right? Because if they, if you don't keep your computer up to date and and somebody <laughs> breaks in and they turn your computer into a zombie, it's going to spew spam at Ed and I. Right and across mm-hmm. the internet until somebody shuts you down completely, uh, or you and then eat their got, brain. Yeah, yeah, and and then they shut you down completely. We can't use. Uh, we're not going to be able to use your IP to get out. Now you got to go talk to your ISP. Your ISP said, "Yeah, we've had a lot of complaints that your computer's spewing spam," and now you got to get off the blacklist again. It's just a. It's a lot of work and a lot of hassle um, if you allow that to happen. So right. stay up on on. Security yep. patches. Exactly. Right. Well, well worth it. Uh, let's go to Ken. Hi, Ken. How you doing, sir? Uh, good. Um, I've been using uh, TrueCrypt to uh, encrypt uh, to encrypt a file so that I could uh, uh, save my tax returns and stuff like that on my computer. And I, I found out that TrueCrypt is discontinued. It, it I is. I don't know of any other uh, encryption program that uh, would be equivalent that I could use. Hmm. I do well McAfee makes an external encryption um you know so does i think norton does but i know a lot of people that are still using truecrypt even though uh it's it's not available a lot of corporations are still using it even though it's not supported <laughs> i was surprised to receive a truecrypt unit and i'm like guys they stopped support on this a year ago what are you guys doing you know uh I do not have readily an answer on and a type of encryption for you know, hard drives. Microsoft uses BitLocker. Yeah, BitLocker. Oh, yes, that's right. Right. True and you can use BitLocker to go, too. You can put on a USB. So, I mean, that might be a way to to deal with this. I'm seeing that... Uh, uh, I'm just, go ahead. Go ahead, Ken. Well, TrueCrypt is uh, free. Yeah, BitLocker is not included in the uh, Windows 10 Home, is it? I don't believe it is. No. I can no. check on it. Go ahead and check out that right yeah. now. I'm just looking uh, online with us here and seeing that Semantic um, has an endpoint encryption. Uh, and it says buy now for as low as $85. Right. So you have that. I'm trying to think of what it is on my Apple devices. Uh, I forget. I think uh, iCloud has an encryption uh, ability as well. But yeah. You know, I... I I'm not sure. I, I really don't have an answer. Perhaps one of our listeners out there would, because I know there's a lot of um, open, if you will, open source type of encryption software, and that's good because that's free. Um, the only problem with open source is a lot of times you cannot you you cannot definitely use that with government agencies and corporations. Um, if it's just for personal use, you you it's probably more than adequate. I'm, so did yeah. did you say that this was uh, for personal use? Yeah, uh, just to uh, save tax returns, I use TurboTax, and I'd like to uh, save my tax returns on my computer, but I'd like to have it encrypted. So mm, now, are you, you, um, yeah. are you, do you have Windows 10? Not yet. Um, I've got 7, and I'm planning on upgrading my computer uh, to Windows 10. So Good. Windows 10 is free, and when you get to Windows 10, BitLocker's free. Oh, right. Now, the, the thing is with this is you have to save that encryption key to an external USB device and also write and down will, the key. And you will want to. And right? you will want to. Yes, you do absolutely. not want to lose those and lock that up uh, somewhere safe because if you you will not be able to break that encryption where I believe where it's not so much password protected. You know, uh, with Microsoft's it's device, product, device protected. It's right. device protected. Yeah, and oh. I mean, you just can't use a password like you could with TrueCrypt. And you use your okay. favorite password. Uh, you, you're given an encryption key or an encryption uh, numeric string that you can use recovery, and it's 24 characters. Whoa. Who's going mem- so to memorize that? It's a little more difficult. Microsoft doesn't make it simple. Okay. Well, they don't want anybody to break no. in. Correct. Right? 
They don't want to use simple devices or simple uh, passwords, right? Right, right. And it's meant to work in an enterprise, but they've. It'll also work in an individual at, at a much smaller level. You can use Microsoft's uh, encrypted file system as well. That's you, right. Yeah, you can. So you can use EFS, but uh, BitLocker might be the way to go too as well. So I guess the good news on this is that Microsoft offers included in its its uh, services BitLocker free mm -hmm. and you said the encrypted file service EFS EFS now in the old days I used to use just WinZip and then put a uh, an 18 character string in there and encrypt the the, uh, the files that I wanted and you know th that would work very well I still use WinZip for encrypting individual files how do you do that with like when you right mouse click on WinZip, you could password protect them. Basically. Ah, I see. I see. The individual files can be password yeah. protected. Okay, there's another way, Ken, that you could do that as well. All right, but but, but as far as right, a re direct guys. replacement for TrueCrypt, which was a great product because it was very flexible, you could you could format individual files, folders, entire hard drives, and, wow. and it was free. So I don't yeah. know why they went out of business. Yeah, <laughs> it's a shame they did. But <laughs> well, it wasn't oh, necessarily I, free. I get you. I get it you, wasn't yeah. a purchase product, but you could distribute the uh, the decryption. Decryptor was free, so that if someone gave you an encrypted file, you could download TrueCrypt and then decrypt. It. You know that so it whole wasn't free. that whole cycle is something that has we've seen go on over the years, like uh, Malwarebytes starting out initially, AVG, and many of the other ones we used to recommend to people. And uh, now, when they go to download those things, they're often brought to a place where they're downloading a trial of a pay service because you can't keep on doing that for free. Yeah, you've There's got no such. to. Got to pay the rent, right? Yeah, and you know no what? You sense. may want to you may want to uh, send an email or a comment to the Internet Advisor. Go to the internetadvisor.net, mm -hmm. and then Shane, who runs a business, right. Shane Hamlin, um, and probably gets these questions all the time from customers, and he might have a suitable replacement. Exactly. So by the he, way, I should remind you. By the way, when you go, if you want to outside of our program this evening, and we still have time, by the way, eight hundred. Eight five nine zero nine five seven. But outside of that, you can go to our homepage, internetadvisor.net, and then there's a, a button on the top that says contact, and click on that, and that'll open up a, an email, and you can send us the information or question you have, and uh, put your email address in there. And uh, during the week, Ed and Shane and Cal, who was our Mac expert, and Gary and I, will take a look at those things and put our two cents in. And uh, Shane had a great answer for somebody the other day that comes from, he works, he has his own business called uh, CompTech Services out in Sterling Heights, and he often deals on a day-to-day -day basis with a lot of these issues, mm -hmm. as you said, and has some great answers. Okay, the number again, 800-859-0957. As I said, I realize that uh, it's not often that we're able during these winter months to offer you this opportunity to give us a call, but our phone lines are open and we got one last segment, so give us a call at 800-859-0957 and we'll do our best to answer your question. Other than that, go to our homepage, internetadvisor.net, and you'll have the contact button there to use to pose your questions. Looking for some questions to round out this hour of the Internet Advisor. Thanks to Mike Zed, our engineer, who's doing a great job keeping us on the air. <laughs> Before we wrap up our show here, I'd like to acknowledge Mike Stett, who's been a man behind the scenes here, who's been handling, juggling a whole bunch of things, both our engineering and our calls. Really appreciate his efforts there. Good thing All he right. was born with that third arm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump back. Typically, we have a bunch of people calling in right at the very end of the show, so let's see if we can get to as many as we can. Jerry from St. Clair Shores, good evening and welcome to the Internet Advisor. How can we help you? like to know is my mother is uh, like severely visually impaired. Are there any phones that she could use um, 
you know, for the visually, you know, because she cannot see right. the numbers to dial. Right, right, right. Or a talking computer also. Well, those are two separate things because just about any computer can be a talking computer nowadays if you go to the accessibility option. Accessibility option. Yep. Uh, and you will find that in your settings in most cases you can go there. Right. So, and, and, well, the so, other problem is is that whether or not she actually knows how is she good with a keyboard like is she a typist you know where she where she could use a QWERTY keyboard so that helps okay the other thing too is that um i'm thinking wouldn't like an iphone uh or something that had uh, speech recognition on it be a good phone for somebody who is visually impaired well i mean uh can you take your iphone and say can you call you know janet yes Yes. but can you actually say call 1-800- you know, yeah, yes, you can do the you same, can thing. Do you the can, same you can, thing. You can do the same thing. You can tell it to dial a specific number, or I could say, uh, dial Ed Rudell. Siri, dial Ed Rudell. Yep. And it would give me, okay, so Ed Rudell work or home or whatever. Correct. So it would actually use your contacts. Yes. So that's very helpful. But you could also give it a number, which is good too, mm-hmm. right? right? Perfect. What it doesn't do is that you can't say, dial my favorite pizza store. <laughs> well, not yet, because Unless, it has GPS, and yeah. one, it's going to figure that out but sooner it, or later. But if you have something in your context that says, my favorite pizza store, then it yes. would. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Jerry, uh, just kind of quickly for you, um, you might want to check out to see if some stores have uh, have phones that are better than others. But the, the bottom line is this, that voice technology is getting good enough that on an iPhone and I think on some of the... Um, the Androids, of course, the Android also have. Phones. Yes, exactly. Yeah, they have yeah. that as well. Yeah, they both, both do. So okay. You, okay. But you're going to miss that tactile. But you're going to miss the tactile because we're all used to dialing. Even I, with is on the Internet Advisor. I mean, I rarely tell my phone, Google, could you call my wife, but, or, or call Tina. But in this but case, it will. But I yeah. don't. But in this that. case, for somebody who's visually impaired, yeah. I think it might be good. So Jerry, I, check that I, out. Okay. I I actually use it all the time with my headset. Yes. I'll I'll be going somewhere and I'll just. Talk to it, right? That, yeah, hands-free. That is a great, wonderful. great idea. Okay, let's go to Mike, who is with us from Royal Oak. Mike, welcome to the Internet Advisor. How can we help you? Hello, yeah, Mike. I just, uh, yeah, I just bought a new computer, uh-huh. and I just want to know the best way to set it up for uh, antivirus, spyware, anti-malware. So what, um, what operating system do you have? I've got Windows 10. So Windows 10 has um, Defender on it, yep. which is your anti um, your antivirus. But it depends where he purchased it from. So if he purchased it from Best Buy or or Costco, they usually come with a pre-installed version, 30 yep. day or 90 day of antivirus, and then after that time expires, they'll ask you to you know to pony up some cash to get that one year subscription. Now, where do you have? Um, who's your ISP? Is it Comcast or White uh, House? Is Bright House. So Bright House, I believe, the others do for sure. Bright House, I believe, has um, a free version of one of the major antivirus packages. So if you don't want to okay. use um, Windows Defender, you can go to Bright House, their, their uh, security settings, and you can probably download. Like Comcast will allow you to do that. AT&T Uverse will yeah. allow you to do that. Um, almost okay. everybody else. I just don't know Bright House. Yep. And one of the first things I do that when I talk to people, though, because we have a number of listeners that call in and they get to that three months and the, the antivirus software that's on their computer or the protection expires and it nags them for, right. you know, to punny up so because you're going to be unprotected and, yeah. and stuff. So what I say is 
uninstall the antivirus software. And when you do, Windows 10 will then say, we notice you don't have antivirus software. Here's a list of, and Foster, you and I were talking Mm -hmm. about this last week. Here is a list of antiviruses that, that you could download that Microsoft included in the operating system, they're, they're links. One of those links is Microsoft Windows Defender. That's right. what I prefer. Right. Yeah. Is and it's, it's, free. It's, and it's, it's free. And it's built in. It is the um, old Microsoft security essentials mm-hmm. that have now been rolled into Windows 10. And I was, matter of fact, a dear friend of mine, Mary Paradowski, called me the other day and she was asking about this. And I said, just uninstall. It was ESET. Yes. Had been put on by the computer uh, store or manufacturer, whoever. And I said, just uninstall that. And what will happen is a prompt will pop up right away, as you said, Ed. And you can then say, please use Windows Defender, and you'll be well protected against viruses. Now, for malware, we would still recommend downloading malware bytes as a very good uh, protection against and, malware. And it's B-Y-T-E-S, yep. bytes. B-Y-T-E-S, I, I, bytes. Yeah, I've used that one before from your website suggestion, and it's great. I love it. Yeah. Yep, good. that's for that. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, my computer came with McAfee on it, and the other day it started... You know, prompting me to nagging you. Yep. Buy the subscription. Right. So I tried to shut everything off um, from their protection, and I could not turn my Windows Defender on. So did you actually, by turning it off, did you actually uninstall it? Going into you, you on Windows 10, you actually go into the search bar and you type in uninstall program, or you type in programs and features. Mm-hmm. And okay. which brings up the old control panel entry, right. and then you have the ability, it brings up that classic interface where we're used to, and it lists all of your programs. And you can say uninstall, okay. and you say yeah. uninstall. Un- yep. And you'll find the McAfee NAG utility, and the McAfee antivirus, and the McAfee cloud-based storage solution. You'll find three or four products by McAfee. And then you uninstall those, and when you uninstall the primary one, the prompt will pop up for Windows Defender, and then you're, then you're going to be safe, Okay. Okay, I was leery about doing that because when I tried to uninstall Norton one time, I didn't shut one of their features off, and it actually locked my computer up. Yeah, that was uh, a number of years yeah. ago, though, right? Yeah. Right, it was like yeah. Ghost or something they used yeah. to have. Yeah, so that was yes. their whole suite. And yeah. uh, while right. it, it was decent software, um, it was not a good interface, and it did, they didn't want you to really uninstall it, so they made it difficult. <laughs> Uh, they learn better because oh, yeah, all of the talk, ho- talk show hosts like us panned them, and uh, then they f- they fixed it. But yeah. that was just in their okay. suite. Yep. yep okay, I just wanted to make sure the same thing wasn't going to happen if I tried to just uninstall my McAfee without shutting everything off on it first. No, no, I think yep. you should be able to uninstall it from that uh, same control panel feature, okay? Okay, and anything that says McAfee, uninstall that, and yeah. then I should be set to go with Defender. That's yeah. correct. Unless it, it's, say, it'll, yeah. it'll pop up and prompt you, and then you can say yes to it, okay? Or if you like McAfee and you happen, and Brighthouse uses that, because some of them, I think UVerse uses McAfee and, and yeah, but you have to go to uses, but you, you have to go to your ISP in the, the settings. So you can use any of them. Um, we suggest the free ones because they're just as good. They're the same software. They're just the bright price point. So. All right, let's get the see. Yes, one last quick call in here, Mike from Royal Oak. Uh, we got time about uh, about a minute to answer your questions. So, what can we do for you, Mike? Just do one thing. Repeat that provider. Is it Bright House or White House or what? Br- Bright House? Bright House. Okay, what? and don't laugh at the next one. Where's the? I just want a dial-up, something real cheap. Oh, a dial-up. Uh, where well, do you find so, the names? So. Um, hmm. ISP.net, was that uh, where? God, I haven't been asked this in a long time. 
Um, I think it's I think it's ISP.net um, has a listing. You put in your your, but but search in Google for dial-up providers, and you'll pick up a couple of them. Put in your uh, your zip code. Because it's it'll be zip code oriented. Yeah, I mean, AT and T still does it. Earthlink still does it. Earthlink, you know, yeah. Net out Zero, of... those are free ones with paid ones. Okay. They're still around. There are a lot of them out there. Google for that. Okay, Mike. Thanks. It's a great yeah. question at the very end to go yeah. right back to the beginning where Gary and I met almost eighteen years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, no, but but they were harder to do then. Yeah. So it's a print dial is pretty easy today. Thank you so much again, Mike Stett, for uh, engineering us. Gary and Ed, thank you for the show. We look forward to continuing being with you. Don't forget Sunday night. Go to internetadvisor.net and you can download the entire two-hour program and listen to it there at your leisure or check iTunes out for Internet Advisor-Podcast feed. Welcome to the Internet Advisor Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Foster Brown. Along with my co-host, Gary Baker, and our team of experts, we've been helping people like you since 1998 with your computer problems, introducing you to valuable resources, and promoting tech enterprise throughout Michigan. The Internet Advisor is a two-hour podcast recorded every week at the studios of historic WJR Radio in Detroit. Only the second hour of our show, which features listeners' questions, is heard live from 5 to 6 p.m. every Saturday on WJR. However, both hours of the show are available each week on this podcast and are streamed to our affiliates across the state of Michigan. We're also proud to be part of Detroit's newest and fastest-growing podcast network, PodcastDetroit.com. And now, here are your hosts with this week's Internet Advisor.